Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, when we record off-cycle, especially it, when we record <laughs> earlier off-cycle... It totally it, messes you up. Yeah, it feels like it's been like three weeks since our last show, at least to me, because it went up the normal time because I didn't get around to editing. You know, we recorded it Friday. I didn't get around to editing it until Sunday, but from that recording perspective and discussing what happened, especially since last weekend, so much happened. Well, yes, and we haven't even touched on, we didn't touch on the Japanese Grand Prix. And yeah. when we recorded, there had been so much that had happened already. So we had a full show on a Friday night, and then we had the Japanese Grand Prix, and stuff happened. It's been kind of a week. But, I mean, it feels like the Japanese Grand Prix happened like weeks ago. It only happened a week ago. We have a week off, and then we have the U.S. Grand Prix. Well, we actually have a bunch of issues with weeks off, and we need to, to deal with that right now. Um, because More weeks off. Yeah, well, you know, this week was a week off in racing, but because somebody can't go and properly align their calendar, <laughs> we have a race next week, but we're not doing a show because somebody decided that that was the week to go traveling, and it was not me. Are you saying that was me? Yeah. Yep, I'm going away again. You you need to at least look at the dang calendar. You know, this, it would have worked if this particular weekend you had gone away because that way there would have been no race. We wouldn't have missed anything. But now next weekend there's a race that you're going to need to try and figure out somewhere where there is poor data service to begin with as to how you're going to watch the race or we're just going to turn around and, and mock you. Okay. Because we have One, seen it and you have not. I am not the only person determining when I go away. And the group could not go away this weekend. It had to be next weekend because both, A, the venue was booked for this weekend <clears throat> prior to us Well, booking. of course it was booked because there was no race this weekend. I doubt that the people that booked the venue this weekend were choosing because of a race weekend secondly i'm actually going to be traveling with another formula one fan which is my point because you know the two of you should have lobbied the rest of the group to say this is a bad weekend we can't go this weekend u.s grand prix no but here's the deal it's really cool because she's a formula one fan and she gets up early like i do we get to watch it well you don't need to get up early because it's in austin yeah, that's going to be a bit of a problem. <laughs> the thing is, I'll be home by the time the race runs on Sunday. If you or say Or shortly so. thereafter. In theory. You might have to. Well, you're going to watch it late anyway because you're not going to watch the NBC. For, um, no, we'll watch the live coverage for that because we don't want to wait until 10 o'clock at night to watch the race because that means we won't finish watching it till Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be clear what actually happens when we do that. But see also David Hobbs. I know, but I can tolerate him for the, the short stints. You know, if necessary, we go with selective muting. Uh, <laughs> you may be able to tolerate him more than I can. We'll, we'll see what Have happens. Have we heard anything about what in, uh, ESPN is going to do to replace David Hobbs with somebody I like better? No, I wouldn't expect anything from ESPN, any more details from ESPN until after the new year. I mean, if you'll recall, when NBC took the coverage from uh, Speed Network, we didn't get any details on what they were doing until like two weeks before the season started. Yes, but see also, NBC Sports says... Uh, not performed to my expectations with their contract for F1. But the difference, though, is that NBC Sports 
promised that this was going to be revolutionary and groundbreaking coverage on new mediums and new directions, and this was going to be a whole new thing for F1 in the United States, and then get, just gave us um, a slightly better bucket of crap than what we had before. ESPN has made no such promises. Okay. So they're not – it's not even a situation where ESPN has set the bar low. They're not setting the bar. This is not necessarily a bad thing. I do find <laughs> it amusing that NBC Sports did claim that we were going to have revolutionary new coverage and then proceeded to give us exactly the same commentators who had been commentating, with the exception of Bob Varsha, yeah. that we traded for Lee Diffie, which basically other than vocal style and one being Australian – Nothing changed. But, okay, think about what their options were for probably known drivers who were willing to, to commentate F1. And, I mean, you had some of them who were locked up by ABC because they were over on the IndyCar side already. You had some of them who were locked up by NBC for the IndyCar side already. And then you had Mario Andretti. I was going to say. Do you really want Mario Andretti calling but races? the thing is, Mario Andretti will talk to anybody. Well, but the thing is, Mario Andretti, by the time you get to like the last lap, he's going to go. So when when is the check getting written? <laughs> okay, possible. <laughs> also possible. Yeah. There's a reason that he doesn't do the podium interviews in Austin anymore. Well, that may be because he was really bad at it. But we've had some people that are really bad at because, it do it more than once. It was because Including he, the guy that did the entire thing in Spanish. No, no. The The reason why Mario Andretti was so bad at it was because he ended it with, um, are we finished now? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> All right. So you have teased the fact that they are, there is news. You have tell, shared the fact that we will be off another week coming this weekend. This coming weekend so the 20 what is it the 22nd we will not have a show yep um but we'll be back in time to slide in for halloween mm -hmm. for some spooky f1 i'm quite sure i have no idea yeah like we've ever done anything like that well no i'm sure that something will come out of austin that will make it spooky tell you what while you listen to the show don't blink <laughs> <laughs> so it was the clockwork orange episode of the show no it's because they're fast they're very fast oh don't blink, don't blink. That's, that's where you were going with that yes don't blink while you watch the halloween show but they don't watch the halloween show they have to listen to the halloween show even more important yeah all right um all weeping angels aside for those that are not doctor who fans um Anyway, so we've teased that, but you have said that there is lots of information, so we should dive right in because we this is supposed to be, theoretically, just an hour-long show, and we've talked about nothing. Okay, so. Get to it. Do you remember that rumor that was flying around as we headed to Singapore that Jolian Palmer was um, – kind of being pushed out the door by Renault, and they wanted him out of the seat. Um, his last race was, in theory, going to be Singapore, and that uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. was going to leave Toro Rosso and going to join the Renault team in Malaysia, and his first race with Renault wasn't going to be in 2018, but was actually going to be in Malaysia because he was taking Jolene Palmer's place. 
And then Singapore came around and that didn't happen. And then Malaysia came around and that didn't happen. Yeah, I remember all of that. But in Japan, Julian Palmer raced also. He did. Um, And just before he hopped in the seat, a few hours after qualifying, um, actually, no, it was, I think, just before we had recorded, um, Julian Palmer lost his seat. Well, not literally. I mean, he still has his physical seat. He can sit down. Well, but he doesn't have a seat at Renault anymore. He does not have a seat at Renault. Now everyone's going, well, wait, we knew this. We, we Remember the whole thing of Jolene got told that Carlos Sainz was coming in 2018? He first found out about it by, by reading it on Autosport. Um, no, he's out of a seat now, effective immediately. He Suzuka was his last race at Renault. He is not driving in Austin no. for the remainder of the season. Carlos Sainz is taking his place. Exactly. Which only leaves one British driver, just FYI. That's kind of an interesting little note because F1 is inherently a fairly British sport. Um, as much as you know, we talk about it being a worldwide sport, the English have a particular fondness for it. Well, it, it's because the, the first official Formula One race, sanctioned race, was in Britain. And you, you've got the, what they call the Motorsports Valley is the area around Silverstone and Oxford. There are the vast majority of the teams have it, eight of ten teams, something like that. And even those that don't have headquarters in that area have some facilities in the area. So it's I mean, it's a big deal to them. We have no drivers, but one. We have one. We have no American drivers in Formula One. Oh, we have one British driver. Yes, but I meant that no American drivers. But British drivers is apparently it's a crisis. But again, we watch the British coverage. So what do you expect? Yes, it's a crisis. So anyway, Jolian has had his last race. Yeah, now he insists that Suzuka is definitely not his last race in F1. That, that's what he says. He says it is definitely his last race for Renault, which means I think he's just burned that bridge. Um, but he says it's definitely not his last race for Renault. But if you think about it, where are his options at this point? You know, Steve Jones over at um, Channel 4 tossed out the, well, you know, there's a seat that's opening up over at Toro Rosso, but he's not in that program. I mean, just kill that thought right away. I'm not sure he's 25 yet, and that's key because the only seats that would be left, the only possible options if he was to stay in Formula One would be the seat at Williams, which I'm not even sure he's good enough for, but I I could see Williams taking him anyway, potentially, or the seats at Sauber, and that's it. He's 25. Oh, so he could do Williams. Do you know how I know he's 25? Because you just looked it up. Well, yes. <laughs> he was born in the year we graduated high school. Excellent. We don't feel old or anything. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, then I guess he could. Now, he's he's not really a veteran because he's only got two years, and they're not great years. But he's 25. Well, he's participated in 37 Grand Prix. He's earned nine championship points. 
His highest fi- uh, race finish was sixth, and he's done that twice. Or, sorry, he's done that once. Um, and his highest grid position was 10th. Actually, he's already turned 26, according to Autosport. Well, he did because his birthday's in January. Oh, well, there you go. So I'm, I'm, I'm just letting you know that he would meet the criteria that Williams is looking for and would have the added benefit of being a British driver. He would. I don't think that Williams is really going to be that hung up on that. Um, yeah, his main target, Autosports confirming, is Williams. But again, he's going up against Kubica, Paul DiResta, and Felipe Massa. Okay, so let's review for a second. Jillian Palmer, actively driven this generation of Formula One cars mm-hmm. in this season, mm-hmm. meets the age requirement, also British, has a short hit, uh, tenure in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Massa, truly at the top of the age range for a Formula One driver. Mm-hmm. Great history, has definite, you know, legacy. Over 25, active driver in current Formula One, but probably passed his prime by a lot. Yeah. We have Paul DeResta, who has been four years out of a car, hopped in a car and didn't finish the race without any prep whatsoever. But let's also qualify that didn't finish with the race was it was a mechanical issue. It wasn't something that he caused. Correct. Right. Um, But Paul DeResta doesn't have like, a huge history of Formula One. He was not in Formula One for very long before he was out. I think he was for about four or five years. Okay. I mean, he... he so he might have twice the tenure as Palmer, but it's four years old. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's that's the bigger thing there, is, is that it's been a while. And again, Paul DeResta has a bit of a reputation within the pit lane of not always playing well with others and Williams as a team that that is very important to them. Right. So team is being family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Kibitza. He has been six years out of a formula one car, had a great career. He's a little on the old side for the, the time, but also has a serious accident that we know has caused permanent damage. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I grant and I'm willing to say that he is able to drive and has been doing well on some of these test runs, but even Renault, who tested him, said that he wasn't there. So, well, though, if those he are wasn't your... there, but, but also keep in mind, they said he wasn't there because who they really wanted was Carlos Sainz. And when that opportunity came open, they moved past it. So, there, there's. If, if Carlos wasn't in play, they might have stuck with him. Well, there's there's that option, And, and, too, and that's the, the other thing to, to roll around, if you're Williams, of Renault found Kubica sufficiently attractive that they were willing to replace Jolien Palmer with him. And they were open to that possibility. So if you're Williams, you've got to be wondering about that. And that's got to be at the back of your mind of, you know, making the decision of you've got the same choice that Renault had. And Renault was going to go a different—they weren't going to keep Palmer in the first place. 
right. they've got two years experience with him and they've decided that they didn't want to keep him you got to be wondering about that well i think this is just something we're going to have to watch because williams has a decision to make and as much as you have been writing claire lengthy letters as to who you think they should pick um which, by the way, I don't know why they keep coming back return to sender. No such name. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm spelling it right. It, it's the legal letter that comes behind it that says if they receive another one, they, they, you will be prosecuted. I only got one of those. <laughs> it's the C&D <laughs> that happened. We only got one of those. No, we didn't. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> Alternative facts. Oh, really? <laughs> um, so what then becomes of Jolian Pollock? Well, Cyril Abitbull over at Renault has at least said that they are committed to helping Jolian find a drive somewhere in motorsport. Don't know where. Now, the options that Renault has easily open to them, they've got the um the formula e team which has been fairly successful although rumor has it that coming out of testing it's believed that audi is about to walk all over everybody in the field naturally it's an audi yeah well apparently you know they've been playing it with the e-tron tech for a while so but that's the rumor is that audi's about to destroy everybody um but their big con commitment because i don't think they're in w WRC anymore. I think Renault's pulled out of that. Or I think it's Citroën's the big brand over there. Um, other than that, really they don't have a whole lot of presence as Renault. However, Nissan is a sister team. Mm -hmm. And there's a very close partnership between the two. Um, Nissan does have a presence in, in Super GT um, in the IMSA Sports Car Championship, which is... Um, WEC LMP style type cars, but they don't run quite as long. I think they're typically six hour races. Okay. Um, I think there was one of those this weekend. There may be. Um, also, Nissan has a presence in Australian based supercars and a GT series. Not a series that we would necessarily see. Mm. But I can't imagine that if you're um, Jolien Palmer, that's really where you want to go. I have a suspicion. Just in where a lot of these um, less than highly successful Formula One drivers go, that he's going to end up in DTM. Uh, British uh, German touring car seems to be a very popular place for him to go. Is there a spot that might open up as a rookie driver over in Indy? That has, because that's been another place for yeah. And, and that has been floated. I haven't heard as anything as to whether or not that is being seriously considered. But there was a rumor that said, well, you know, IndyCar is always an option. Um, I don't know if any team is interested in him. I mean, I can't imagine. Given some of the other drivers that have slid over there and done well, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine that he's not being considered. It's whether or not he has an interest in going over there. And I don't know. It's, a, it's, it's one of those... I wonder. Um, now, I, I mean, I like Jolian, just like I like Max and Alex that have come over to IndyCar. It would be kind of cool to have a little former F1 group 
like mm-hmm. a little fraternity of former F1 guys. Well, there already is a pretty decent one over there. So, although they lost Montoya, he's gone now. Yes, I'm sure he could become a an announcer for uh, ESPN. You know, that's a possible. I don't know how solid his English is, but that's all definitely I know a is that his driving skills involve trying to run me over with a scooter. Well, uh, hopefully, he'll put that on his CV. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm quite sure it is there. Um, so then, of course, comes the next questions. So now we have Kvyat's gone, mm-hmm. and we have Gasly, and we have a problem with Gasly because Gasly can't – well, Gasly has a schedule conflict for Austin. Right. And now Carlos Sainz is gone. So now we have two open seats over at Toro Rosso. What are we going to do? Well, a few hours after the announcement came that Jolian Palmer was leaving and Carlos Sainz was headed over to Renault, a press release comes out from Toro Rosso that says, hey, Pierre Gasly's going to drive in Austin. Oh, wow. And everyone went, wait, what? Including Honda, because the Super GT team that Gasly drives for is a Honda team. (laughs) And Honda's going, wait, what? Did you guys maybe want to talk to us about this? Because he's about to, you know, he's one point away from a championship, and it's our big rival Nissan that he's driving against, and that's really kind of important to us. And we're supposed to be your engine next year. You might want to, like, you know, play nice. Yeah, well, Helmut Marco came out um, about a day or two later and said, or he came out Sunday and said, um, yeah, actually, we were wrong. That was a mistake. We, we, he has not been confirmed. We're still trying to sort that out. We don't know. Um, Gasly said that you know both options are super, super exciting to him. This idea of he could stay in Formula One. He's already mentioned he's willing to to skip the the Super Formula Championship because the longer, the more time he gets in that Formula One car, the the better the chances he feels to stay in Formula One for 2018. <laughs> so he's like, you know, the hell with the title. As cool as it would be, I, I'm willing to go ahead and do this. But you know, if I go to to Super Formula, go and fight for this title, especially if I win it, then the next week after I go to Mexico and I'm a Super Formula champion and I'm driving in Formula One, and that's pretty cool too. Really, Gasly's in a position he can't lose. He is, and he was really excited about it. Well, we got confirmation on Thursday that Gasly will be remaining in Japan for the the championship race. He is not driving in Austin, so that is official. He is staying there, and again, it sounds like it was Honda that drove this decision, and of course, Honda should have some sway. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it is mainly around the fact that um, their big uh, – I'm sorry, I was wrong. It's not Nissan. It's Toyota it is the, their rival over in Super Formula. Um, they want to score the shot against Toyota, and that's why they want to keep him in Super Formula for the one race. I can understand that. And, I mean, and it gives him another title. You don't get, don't miss that fact that, yes, you're not driving a Formula One car this weekend, but you have a title. You know, every title mm-hmm. means something, even, you know, and note to Julian Palmer, even if it's like go-kart title, titles mean things. Well, so, you know, that's the question is, is, you know, how far down into the series is Renault looking to place him 
in a series is Renault looking you know is he going to end I don't even know if Formula Renault is still around see they going to put him in the French go-karting championship I mean what are they going to do well they could they could create a whole series around Palmer just so that he could race and get a title at Fernando Alonso's track yes (laughs) so that still brings us back to Toro Rosso now with two empty seats because they gave up signs and they fired Kavia. So we now know what's happened. Oh, good news. What? <laughs> Daniel Kvyat's coming back. Okay, this is like the high school relationship that will never end. Will they? <laughs> won't they? Will they? Won't they? Sam and Diane all over again. I don't know if it's quite that much. <clears throat> but Kvyat is coming back and it appears since there's two seats available that Kvyat will be finishing out the season with Toro Rosso. Okay. But it does lead the question of what next for Daniel? Because before we got the confirmation that Carlos was leaving, if Gasly was the up-and-coming rising star and Daniel was doing as poorly as he was, there's no incentive for Toro Rosso to keep him around. Right. But now that we've lost Saints and we have this extra seat, there's the challenge of who is the next potential star that attracts Red Bull's attention? Because Red Bull doesn't have anybody other than Gasly sitting in their system with enough points to qualify them for a super license. And That's no wrong. super license, no drive Formula One. Yeah. So it, it, it's a it's a bit of a thing. Now, one of the names that was flying around was this possibility of Alexander Rossi coming. Yeah, but Rossi's got success <coughs> in IndyCar. He's not leaving Indy. He's got an IndyCar. However, it is believed that um, – and, and yes, not, not only that, but he signed in late August – um, a, a multi-year contract to remain with Andretti Herta. But his contracts are known to contain a special clause allowing him to accept any F1 offers. Plus, you add on top of that, thanks to the success that Alexander has had between his win at Watkins Glen this year, his win at, Indy, at uh, Indianapolis the year before, he's considered one of Honda's favorite sons. Mm. Keep that in mind, too. However, a spokesperson, and, and it's not, I'm not sure whether it's a spokesperson for Alexander or if it's for um, Andretti Herta or if it's for Honda, she's come up and said, no, that, that's not it. There's no truth in this. She says, Alex is committed to IndyCar and committed to getting Andretti Autosport Honda back to the front of the grid. Alexander's believed to be in Europe filming a reality TV show right now. I don't know what show he's filming, but it's believed that he's in Europe filming a TV show. Wow. I wonder what he's filming. But that doesn't completely take Alexander out of the picture. It just takes him out of the picture for Austin. Interesting. So we still have this empty seat. Well. Hey, great news. What? Toro Rosso has announced 
Brandon Hartley of New Zealand to take the space, who you have never heard of. I have never heard of Brandon Hartley. <laughs> okay. It, well, he's actually got some success. Um, he was considered for a while a Formula One prodigy. He does have some experience with the Toro Rosso team. He was, for a stretch, um, the third driver, reserve driver for Toro Rosso. However, a couple of years ago, um, oh, and he tested for them back in 2009. But a couple of years ago, really kind of, he didn't, he says he didn't give up his dream of driving in Formula One, but he moved on to other series. Um, he's been driving for Porsche in WEC and was a member of the, um, the Le Mans winning team last year, and I believe the year before as well, alongside Nico Hulkenberg. Really? Yeah. Well, if Nico knows him, then that that's good enough for me. Yeah, in 2009 and 2010, he was reserve driver for Toro Rosso. Um, dropped by Red Bull soon after. Um, however, he did drive a – well, he did drive with Mercedes in 2012 at a test in France at Magny Corps. So we'll see what happens. He's also the – current FIA LMP1 World Endurance Championship leader, um, which he won in 2015. So, yeah. Yeah. But all we know is that this is for Austin. Okay. We don't to know fill he... the two empty seat problem. Right. Gasly's going to be coming back after Austin. And you've said Fiat is confirmed through the end of the year to fill the second seat. Yes. For right now, our, granted, Kvyat was now. was confirmed to fill the, the seat in all of 2018, and we saw where that went. Right, and that guy's got to be an emotional wreck. I'm sorry. I hope that Toro Rosso is paying for some serious therapy for this kid. Knowing Toro Rosso, they're probably not. That's the problem. They owe him some therapy. This on again, off again. We we want you. We don't want you. I mean, yes, some of it's his own doing, but seriously, he's got to be feeling like, it, well, for a longest time that the rug could be pulled out from underneath him at any moment because they keep doing it. You know, Vladimir Putin's got to be really upset. This has probably extended the sentence of uh, Kvyat's parents in the gulag by at least another five years. Well, and that's a problem, especially yeah. since they're not in the gulag. That we know of. True. So let's move on a little more about the race. One of the things that we missed because we recorded on Friday <laughs> is, um, and, and actually I think this came out during the week. Um, once again, the Formula One group and FIA have released video from the drivers from a drivers meeting. Um, unlike waiting an extra week, this was the drivers meeting in Suzuka that they released video about, and the. Part that caught everybody's attention was Roman Grosjean and some comments that he made. So he questioned the rules regarding seatbelts, specifically towards the end of the race, the, you know, on the cool-down lap at the end of the race. Um, the rules apparently say, as published, that a driver is not supposed to remove their seatbelts while they're in the car. Um, now, Charlie Whiting said, yeah, that's the rule. You, you, you're not allowed to remove the seatbelt, but you can loosen the seatbelt. 
And Grosjean specifically called out um, Lewis Hamilton driving around in the cool-down lap and waving to fans and stuff like that because the only way that he can move to do that is you have to remove your seatbelt. And Charlie Whiting said, well, you know, you're not supposed to be going and removing your seatbelt. You're in the car. It's in motion. You can loosen them to do this, to which Felipe Massa said, you can't loosen them. It's really difficult, really, if you're going to do something like this. you got to take them off. And Charlie said, you're really not supposed to be doing that. Um, to which, and, and this is where it got really odd was as, as they're asking for clarification how you do this and lewis is like but i'm driving really slow you know it, it's not that there's no real risk here um up to the point that you know vettel runs into the back end of straw or <laughs> yeah but then grosjean says well you know i think it's great for the fans to see a bit more of the driver but i just wanted to get clarification so lewis says why would you need clarification on it and Grosjean says, because sometimes you don't put the steering wheel back on and you can get a fine. And it doesn't make sense if the wheels are completely off of the car, so I just wanted to know. And Lewis says, well, interesting. To which Charlie Whiting says, well, we can clarify it if you really think it's worth it. And Lewis says, we're driving so slowly, man, but I mean, maybe Sebastian should keep his on. To which <laughs> Sebastian goes, steering wheel or belts? I'm confused now. And Charlie goes... That isn't something we've seen happen, isn't it? Referring to um, the crash with, with Lance. He says, needn't have, but it did, and something similar could happen. And Grosjean says, well, I don't want to start an argument or whatever, but I just want to know the rules, simple as that. And Charlie says, <coughs> well, I don't think you should undo your belts. I think we've seen what our car can, I think we've seen what can happen on a slowing down lap, lap. so I think it's very bad practice to undo your belts. And Lewis says, I've only done it when I win to wave to fans. And Charlie says, I understand, yes. And Lewis says, but I do slow down massively. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure there's any clarification on what the deal is. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the future here. <clears throat> I'm with Vettel. I'm confused. Are we talking about steering wheels or vet belts? <laughs> <laughs> that was the other thing is, well, okay, wait, what, what exactly were we talking about? And how did we go from belts to me not putting my steering wheel on? And what? What? Well, didn't Grosjean get into a, an accident <clears throat> or ran his car into a wall and picked up the steering wheel and took it back with him? And there was talk about that being a problem? I think that was an issue at one point, if I remember correctly. But yeah. All right. But while we're on the topic of Sebastian Vettel, he's um, at risk of a grid penalty after get if he gets one more reprimand, he's at risk of a grid penalty because he got reprimanded at the Japanese Grand Prix. What did he do at the Japanese Grand Prix? He barely ran the Japanese Grand Prix. Well, that's the thing you got to wonder about is well, well, wait a minute, what happened? What did you do? Well, it was not for something he did while driving. Well, that's good because he didn't drive for very long. He didn't show up to the pre-race performance of the National Anthem on time. <gasps> Ooh. That's wrong. It, well, it, it's, it's a very big deal. They, and they've made it a really big deal. And you see the drivers, especially when they're talking to, you know, Mark Weber and David Cothart on the grid, and they're like, I got to go, man. You know, yeah. time. We, we, we got to go. If you'll recall, sitting on the grid, because they knew that there was an issue— the engine cover was up 
Seb being Seb and, and the kind of driver that he is, while the mechanics were working on the car, he stayed behind. He didn't go running off to do other stuff. He didn't do media. He didn't do any. He stayed behind. And, and yeah, it may have been some of the. So why are you turning that? Hmm. Are, are you sure that that's the right thing to turn? Is it done yet? Are you done? We're getting. But he stuck around with the team as the mechanics were wrapping up trying to fix an issue. Because at that point, I don't think they clearly knew what the issue was. But as a result, he was late to the national anthem and got reprimanded. One more reprimand, and that's a grid penalty. And remember, his other reprimands were because of his temper. Yeah. Which he seems to have figured out that he needs to keep that in check. Well, and that's a good thing. But because think of the kids. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But we figured out. We we found out what the problem was that sunk his race and has so dramatically changed things around. We initially, we had thought that this was a recording that had come from, and why am I not seeing it right this second? Oh, here it is. We had initially thought that this recording had come from the Honda garages around Barcelona. It turns out that actually this was from the Ferrari garages because this is what happened. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what you do. You just take them dang old spark plugs out in that little hole. You just put a little hole around there, just like Bobby Hunter said. It's just like it'd go boom, boom, just like that. And that's exactly what happened. The spark plugs were the problem, <laughs> yeah. and it went boom, just like that. <laughs> Um, so I was listening to the five live coverage in the post race recap from Japan, mm-hmm. and oh how I wish I remembered names. Um, one of the men was speaking about this spark plug issue, and he says, "You know, it's kind of funny that they're saying it's a spark plug problem because when you think of it, spark plugs are in every car, everywhere. It's typically yeah. not th- a, a, a problem with a, a spark plug." And one of the other guys said, "Well, yeah, except for the fact that what you don't know is what happened to the spark plug. For all you know, the piston shoved the spark plug into something it yeah. shouldn't have been sl- shoved into." So, I mean, yes, they claim it's a spark plug pop problem, but. We don't think that it was like the spark plug didn't work. <laughs> but the the piece of that that Ferrari and, and what one of the other points that they were trying to make from I think it was Mark Gallagher um, on the BBC was trying to point out is the spark plug is not a component that is produced by Ferrari. Right. And it is likely that several other teams are running the same spark plugs that Ferrari was running. So where the issues that were happening in Malaysia were quality control issues on behalf of Ferrari, this was not a Ferrari-controlled component, and Ferrari was not the direct cause of the problem. So they say. So they say. If it was truly a spark plug issue, and it was the spark plug itself, not— that I think there's a whole lot that spark plugs I mean, what can, does that a spark can plug fail on a do? spark plug. <laughs> um, but if it was truly the spark plug, that means it was not necessarily a quality control issue or a problem with Ferrari themselves. 
That being said, supposedly there are changes happening at Ferrari to address the quality control issues that have seriously sunk and, and changed the direction of this championship. I mean, you think about it. We came into um, came into Singapore. We came into this last leg of the season with Lewis only up by eight points and it looking extremely likely that Sebastian was going to take the lead again and the seesaw that we'd been seeing for the last couple of weeks was going to continue. And now all of a sudden, I think it's fair to say that Sebastian Vettel is still mathematically capable of winning the championship. He's 54 points behind. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, it is not possible to for Vettel to win unless there's a DNF by at least one DNF by Lewis. Yeah. And Lewis could clinch the championship by winning the Austin Grand Prix and Vettel not not, not finishing, finishing bef- uh, not finishing than, in the points. Higher than 5th. Oh. I think it's higher than 5th. Yeah. He is still currently mathematically possible to win the championship. Which means essentially you've lost the championship. Yeah. And I think that we are at a point where in Austin, Mercedes will get the championship as long as the constructors. Lewis, the constructors. Um, as long as Lewis finishes the race. Yeah, I think the there's enough points left that that would be the case. There's 100, and, 100 points left on the driver's side, which makes 200 for the constructors. Because you can't win 25 for each driver. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, math. It's it's early in the morning. I can't do the math for it just yet. But there's Maths less right. less than 200 available for every in the total races. So one of the other stories was the Force Indias. Yes. Um, at uh, one point, and I don't know where it – I don't have the note. I didn't put it on here. Uh, there was a situation where the two force in more than one situation actually where the two force Indies caught up to each other, and um, Ocon was ahead of Perez and Perez wanted to pass, mm-hmm. and Perez was told specifically by the team he was not to pass. Hold station, do not race your teammate, do not pass your teammate, because Force India is really getting sick and t- or well they're not really getting they're already there. They're sick and tired of their drivers racing each other and crashing into each other and taking, damaging each other's chances and losing points. Well, and I can understand that. No no team really appreciates that. It's, it's not the way to endear yourself to a team. So team orders are still in place. What Otmar Safnauer has to say about the future is that they are both smart guys, and hopefully the lessons will be learned very quickly, and I think they have. Our philosophy here is always to maximize the team potential, and we have to do what it takes. Usually letting them race and go as fast as they can as they can maximizes the team's potential. But when they start crashing into each other a lot, then it doesn't maximize the team potential. So we have to do something different in order to maximize the team potential. Do you get the, 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 the recurring theme here? He says, They're trying to maximize something. Now let me, let me yeah, try to figure this out. Um, definitely... What would you? What did you want to maximize? Um, definitely donuts. Points. They want to maximize points. Um, he said, but but what they have done is is that they have worked to maximize something. When <laughs> when they are happy to let them race and they believe letting them race is better than holding them back, that is when we will do it. But we are not there yet. 
Translation, when we think that we are secure in our current position on the grid, that we're not going to lose places and points to another team and retain the amount of prize money that we're targeting this year, that's when we'll let them race. But until then, they ain't touching each other. So I predict that will be allowed to race after Abu Dhabi. You know, it could be sooner. We'd have to look at the constructor standings and see where they are. But once that position is secure, and that was the other thing that was pointed out by, I think it was Five Live, over when Sergio came up to Ocon, they were at a point in the race that there was, like, nobody around them. And even if they unleash Sergio to pass Esteban, you'd have a chance of catching the next person in line. So, yeah, they would have let him free. But they would have just let him free to run. It wouldn't have been. They wouldn't have gotten any more points out of it. I was just looking up to see if I could find quickly the the point structure to see where they fall. But they're obviously fighting Williams right now for yeah. their position. So. Hey, I, and, and and since you mentioned Williams, we mentioned earlier that Robert Kubica has tested the Williams car, mm-hmm. and he is a potential candidate for that seat. Well, guess who has come out of the woodworks to express his support for Robert Kubica? Um, it could be none other than Bernie. Of course. And when you sit down and you really think about it, and you think about what motivates Bernie, and what Bernie has always thought is best for the sport, all of a sudden— Bernie Eccleston backing Robert Kubica makes perfect sense. Oh, of course it does. Because it's about the spectacle. It's about the news. Exactly. Snippet. It's about the fact that this would be a story. Now, what Bernie says is his reason. He says, if Robert had not had his accident, then I think by now he would have been world champion anyway. I think he can come back even stronger than before. Mentally, I think probably he will be more aggressive than he was then, so I can only see good, good things for him. In terms of his physical conditions, years and years ago, when I had a race team, we had a guy called Archie Scott Brown who drove for us. Archie was bloody quick, and he was in a worse position than Robert, much worse. And he managed to be very successful and bloody quick. I don't think his injury will hold him back. Yeah, it couldn't possibly be from the show and the story and the spectacle that there would be and the narrative around Robert Kubica coming back. Oh, no, it's because of his promise. Well, okay, there's that. It's like we don't even know Bernie. Oh, but we know Bernie so well. Yeah. Oh, I thought you had more. You started off like you had more. Pretty much that could be the end of it. Oh, okay. So furthering the rumors of Aston Martin and what their future within the sport might be. Um, According to uh, Andy Palmer over at uh, Aston Martin, they're poaching folks from Ferrari. Specifically, because, you know, Aston wants to be in competition with Ferrari. That's where they see themselves. But specifically, though, they're recruiting folks who have been involved in the development of the F1 engine over at Ferrari. They're poaching Ferrari F1 team folks. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think that might that might prove that they're thinking about having an engine entry. 
Now, Andy Palmer still maintains that they have not made a decision, and really it's going to be a matter of whether or not it's cost-effective to do this. But they're clearly building the stable to make it possible for them to do this. Now, yes, Aston has other racing programs, and there are other things going on at Aston that having engineers with F1 engine building experience would be attractive to them whether that's the touring car series or whether that's just even the development of their road cars and their supercars, that would be attractive to them. But dots are becoming easier and easier to connect as we go through the weeks lately. Very, very interesting. So how about some calendar news? Okay. So word came out this week um, that Sean Bratches and others from Formula One, from the Formula One group, have headed to uh, Holland to discuss the possibility of bringing back the Dutch Grand Prix because of the amount of popularity that, that Max, Max Verstappen. Verstappen has, the number of fans that traveled across the border in over to see Spa, to went to Belgium to see Spa. It's really motivating that you know we should do something. Um, now, Holland has hosted Formula One before many years over in Zandvoort, mm -hmm. which has a mixed history. It's known for having good races, but the nature of the track and the layout of the track, and I don't think it's grade one certified as of now, it has been a very dangerous track. Um, again, going back to one of the, the documentaries that, that we talk about every so often, um, The Deadly Years, that ends with the reopening of Zandvoort after all of these safety procedures were put in and a driver being killed at the track and car flipped over driver pinned it's on fire another driver pulls over and is trying to save him and they kept the race going mm -hmm. so there is a very dark history with Zandvoort even though it has been a track that's hosted Formula One for years and hosted some very good races at at the track um so their idea is you know really we don't want to go to a track because you don't have downtown tracks they're always out an hour 40 minutes away from the the urban areas the formula one group is really pushing that new races become especially if they're you know anytime possible they want them to be street races mm -hmm. because they can drop them downtown so their thought is, well, you know, what about either Amsterdam or Rotterdam? Both big populations. There's a lot of – Amsterdam isn't far from Zandvoort, so, it, you know, they've got the, the background. That's what we're targeting. We want a street race in either Amsterdam or Rotterdam. And both Amsterdam and Rotterdam have since come out and said, no. <laughs> we don't want to race on our streets. If you want to come to – we love the idea of a Dutch Grand Prix. We think you should bring it back. Go to Zandvoort. We have a track. We, we have a track. It was built for Formula One. There's no Formula One there now. Go to Zandvoort. I can understand that. So, yeah, we'll see We'll see where that goes. Um, I, I think if Formula One really wants to capitalize on it, and, and whichever direction they go, whether it's Zandvoort or they push harder for a street race, I think what they should do next year is something very similar to what they did in London this year have that you know get the permits in place and have a street festival in one of those cities 
and bring the celebration and you've got Max, he's your star. It's going to be a big deal. Yeah. Do that and see where that leads you. I think that's an amazing idea. I, they need to expand that F1 Live concept. So let's talk a little IndyCar. Okay. We haven't talked much about IndyCar. Let's talk about IndyCar. Um, the calendar came out, at least the first draft of the calendar. IndyCar released it. This is the calendar. Here we go. But I got a little more information that okay. there's other stuff happening. Now, for the most part, the calendar as it is today is relatively unchanged from the past. The existing races that, that we have seen previous years are happening around the same time with one exception. Watkins Glen is gone. Oh. Watkins Glen came back. This was the second year that uh, Watkins Glen was run. Now, last year was the first year, and it came in as a late-season replacement because, as you recall, Labor Day weekend was originally supposed to host the Grand Prix of Boston last year. Right. And that imploded after the season started pretty, pretty badly. So Watkins Glen stepped in and said, hey, we got nothing going on. Come on up here. And attendance, by all accounts, was pretty dismal, mm -hmm. which – Okay, understand. Late season edition. Nobody was planning for it. Okay. So second year, Watkins Glen this year. Um, as we mentioned, Alexander Rossi won the race. It, from what we hear, it was a really good race. But attendance was still kind of crappy. And as a result, IndyCar has decided to look elsewhere. So they're going to Portland, which I believe is Oregon. I'm not sure. Oh. Everybody says Oregon, but I'm not sure if they're talking Portland, Oregon, or Portland, Maine. There's a big difference. We need to get that clarified so that if you're going to book tickets, you go to the right place. Right. Though I've heard both are beautiful, so yeah. no matter where you wind <laughs> up, you're going to have a good time. One of the places but there's going to be an oval. <laughs> <laughs> One of the places you might have a race. So I can understand that. So, yeah, we could go either way because they're talking August. It'll start. It's going to be a three race in a row series, with po starting off in Pocono in Pennsylvania, then going to Gateway in St. Louis, which is their return to Gateway. This year was the first year they won. It'll be the second year, and then Portland. Hmm. So again, you need to know: Am I turning left in St. Louis, or am I turning right in St. Louis? And we're not clear on that just yet. Got it. Because IndyCar assumes that the world is familiar with these tracks, and we're not. We are the world, and we're not familiar with them. But there's one other change that was not published. Well, it is a change that IndyCar is seeking, and as a, real, as a result has not been published. Uh, they're actually looking um, earlier in the year, around, I believe it's the March. Yeah, in the Mar either in the March time frame, or if they can't get that, they're looking in August, which I think is going to be a mistake for this. But up until this year, Mexico City had a WEC race. Oh. They lost that race. IndyCar's looking to target Mexico City for a replacement race. Which would be the only international race for IndyCar, wouldn't it? Yes, because Toronto is in Canada, which is America Light. Okay. I forgot there was a I Toronto. knew you were going to walk into that one. Oh. I forgot there was a Toronto race. Yeah. Because it is America light. It's, it's just our neighbors to the north. Yeah. With better health care. Now, it's known that IndyCar has been working on either getting a race in Mexico or, of all places, China. 
Okay. IndyCar, it's that odd middle ground that IndyCar sits in. They're primarily, because of Canada, they are primarily a domestic American series. But they don't want to be a domestic American series, especially because so much, so many of their drivers are not Americans. Right. So there was a brief stint that they were running races down in Brazil, and then they lost those races for one reason or another. They've tried to get – they've been in and out of Mexico a few times. They tried to get a – and I think they may have actually had a race over in Asia at one point. That went away. They're trying to do stuff to build that international audience because, you know – you, you've got Australians and Kiwis and Brazilians and um, Japanese. I mean, the Indy 500 was run by Takuma Sato of Japan. Yeah. Fernando Alonso was a favorite, and he's Spanish. But there's no coverage at all of IndyCar in these countries. So IndyCar has been trying to figure that out. They know that they've their bread and butter is in the States, but their drivers come from elsewhere, and those are potential markets for them. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe, and I'm spitballing an idea here that has just come to me, so it is completely unvetted and unfiltered. Maybe they should hire a marketing genius to help them do that. And I know someone who has recently become available. Bernie. Yeah, I couldn't see Bernie doing that from the pers- well, a couple of perspectives. One one of which is the fact that he would probably view and and I'm I'm only saying this from a Bernie Eccleston perspective, not a bloke in the bird perspective. I want to be clear on that. But knowing Bernie Eccleston, he would probably view moving to IndyCar as a step down and views IndyCar as a lesser series because of the fact that it does not bring in the huge money that Formula One brings in. And it is not nearly as exclusive in terms of its access and other pieces that he has built Formula One into. Oh, I understand that. I'm just saying if you want an international presence, you might need to think about someone yeah, and, and, and he's available. I, and I would not encourage that simply from the perspective of if you are an IndyCar fan and you go to many tracks for all of $30, you get $30 on top of your existing ticket fee, which isn't that expensive either. You get more access than the Formula One man who has spent $3,000 for his ticket. Yes. And that right there would be a reason why they should not hire Bernie Eccleston. I understand. I said I was spitballing. Okay. Do you have anything else? No, that is everything that we have for this week. We're not going to dig too deep into Suzuka. I have got something this week. Uh Uh-oh. Do you know, this is a pop quiz, who is the oldest driver on the F1 grid currently? Felipe Massa. You are wrong. Damn. Who is the only driver who was born in the 70s? That's on the grid. Felipe Massa wasn't born in the 70s. 1981. Seriously? Seriously. Who is the driver born in the 70s who we think should be retiring any day now? Uh, not Felipe Massa. Who is not Felipe Massa? Fernando Alonso. Kimi Raikkonen. Thank oh, you okay, so much. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, Kimi. Yeah, okay. Kimmy, um, this coming week, Kimmy Raikkonen will have a birthday. 
Okay. At which point he will be turning 38. Wow. And I'm sure that he is just going to get wasted. Well, you know, he's a married man with children now, so maybe he's, like, calmed down. He is going to get wasted. So, Tuesday, we can all celebrate Kemi Day and uh, celebrate, raise a glass in Kimmy's honor as he turns 38 years old. And on Wednesday, we can recover by honoring another birthday that's on the grid. Oh, I thought first we were going to do this. Kimmy, get out of the way! Okay, well, yeah, there's that. But we can honor another birthday that's on the grid. Okay. Pascal Verlot. Oh. Who I believe will be turning 23. Okay. So we have two birthdays this week. I thought it was interesting enough um, that by the time we speak again, we will have the oldest member of the F1 paddock will be a year older that that's typically how it works after birthdays it does it does but um i think kimmy you're you're, you're kind of pushing way old <laughs> well you, you know all i really have to say is happy birthday to both of you and kimmy hopefully you're over your hangover before thursday <laughs> Fr- at least friday practice but it's no fun to do press conferences when you're hungover how would you tell the difference with Kimmy? Oh, good point. Fair enough. And on that note, we'll call this show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. <laughs>